Hi guys, welcome to Suze. Suze. Uh, you can hear my mum serving up dinner in the background because it's a real slice of life, this podcast. Today's podcast features not a comedian. It's podcaster and co-showrunner of the Smoking Lamb Film Podcast that I guest on, Josh Morris. He came to the Edinburgh Fringe right near the beginning and what was I going to do? Not record an episode of Sue's on Film with him. This was recorded over a month ago and we talk about Birdman, Whiplash, comic book movies, Disney and more. Guys, you'll finally find out how I feel about the Minions. And also, I'm eating Haribo throughout. Sorry. Enjoy! Oh my god, Josh, you're here at the Edinburgh Fringe. Can you believe it? Are we, are we starting? Yeah. Oh, so this is, this is on the show? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you, this you, is all going to be on it. I liked, I'm guerrilla filmmaker, guerrilla podcast maker. Yeah, but normally you do an introduction. No, I do like, that. I do that alone. But, okay. Hi everyone. Yeah, Josh and I—we've uh, only met yesterday yep. for the first time, but I feel like we've known each other all our lives. It's been seven, nearly a year. A year, a year, because we did the podcast. We did the other podcast. But saying like Mike, who I've known for like two, mm. maybe two and a half, never met Mike. Never before. met Mike. Oh, and now we're talking into a mic. Yeah. That's just the sort of the crazy links you can find. That's the standard of banter. On yeah, this, show. this is yeah high standards all the way. So yeah, it's the fourth day of uh, the Edinburgh Fringe. I've done three shows. Josh, you saw my show yesterday. I did. Yeah, yeah, and uh, he said he honestly liked it. Yep, I am. Um, <laughs> basically, I told my girlfriend before the show I was like, okay. Um, I'm going to tell that I like it no matter what because she's just nice and I think she actually needs it. Bit this. sensitive. Yeah, I was like, if I say that shit, like, I'm going to put her on suicide watch. <laughs> so, um, but I will message you the honest opinion and I messaged her being like, yeah, I enjoyed it. She's like, really? I was like, yep, I'm, I'm surprised as you are. Yeah, that's as surprised you are, love. <laughs> she's, she seemed insane, but actually she can do averagely good comedy. <laughs> uh, uh, well, t- four out of ten. Yeah. It's Still, you know, your expectations were exceeded, but it was still four out of ten. Yeah. Guys, Josh uh, has often said that my laugh always sounds like I'm about to break down in tears. It sounds so emotionally unstable. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> <laughs> when actually it's just my laugh. And I actually, I cry very reasonably. It'll be just a, you know, guys, things are tough. I'm not really a sobber. One tear drips down. Single tear. Yeah, what's that film where the Indian cries at the end? I was thinking of Whiplash where Miles Teller's like got one tear and he's like, oh, are you you that single tear type? Single tear type of guy. Yeah, that's what I'm like at the fringe with my audience. If they're not laughing, (laughs) not my tempo. Yeah, (laughs) they're just one single tear. They're one single tear. Oh, really? Are you a single tear type of audience? Whiplash was brilliant, wasn't it? It was good. Oh, what a film. I thought it was probably my favourite film that year um, was Birdman, and I think Whiplash was probably second. See, even on one of the older podcasts I did, Films Flotation, mm. it was always a split. Like, some people would be Whiplash over Birdman, some yeah. people would be word Birdman over Whiplash. Yeah. But generally, it was everyone's one and twos. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were fantastic. They kind of go together as well. I, I feel Whiplash, drums. Whiplash is far more accessible to a normal audience. Yes, it is. It's not full of in-jokes. In because so many jokes. people, when I watched Birdman at the cinema, mm. when they were coming out, they just went like, what the fuck was that? Uh, really? Because it's a hard film to market. Like, they, yeah. You don't market it as a one-shot film. No. So they don't say, like, oh, this film's one-shot. So people, you know, it's quite hard for general audience to watch a film in that style. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that threw a lot of people off. I think you're right. It's a... Uh, um, it's a film about actors as well, a film about actors and about Hollywood and, and about Broadway. Um, so it actually did quite well to be as, success, as accessible as it was. Well, and I just love Michael Keaton. He played Batman and then yeah. he basically played himself at that point in time, i.e. he was a big famous star when he was Batman yes. and now not so much. Yeah. And then what does he do? He then plays Vulture in Spider-Man film. Oh, yeah. A bird-based supervillain. Of course. Did you like the... I haven't seen it. Did you like the new Spider-Man? I loved it. As of oh. now, it's like one of my favourite films of the year. That's really, that's made me want to watch it because I have very little interest in superhero movies. Um, but yeah, that kind of makes me want to watch it. You should. I'm diehard super. Like, yeah. I say that MCU, even though I'm 100% Star Wars guy, 
MCU is like my generation Star Wars. I just think it's such this unique thing that now, to me, I think that MCU is the biggest impact on the film industry ever. Right. Because I think it's changed like everything. So, so many studios now are trying to do a cinematic universe. Yeah. Like King Kong and Godzilla, we've now got the Universal Horror movies, of course, DC are doing it. Um, So, so many people are trying to do their own cinematic universe. And it's great because it just feels like a TV show. Yeah. Like, every episode different, but you always have one, like, sort of underlying story arc. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel the MCU's done. It's a real step back in history, isn't it? Because in the 30s and 40s, they had all the Tarzan films, yeah. and there'd be a new Tarzan film, sometimes more than one in a year. And, 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 and there were various Godzilla films, like you say, and now that sort of, that idea has had a resurgence um, but with a bigger budget. <laughs> yeah, huge <laughs> a huge budget because they're such good money makers. Yeah, it's made like I think my uh, I think there's there's some superhero movies that I like. I really liked Deadpool, but I'm not sure that counts as a, a trad superhero movie. Well, I think though, like to me now, superhero is the like genre. Like you never yeah. just have a comedy film. You never have an action no. film. So to me now, superhero film is that sort of main genre. Mm. It is the equivalent of a sci-fi, a action, a comedy, and then you have the subgenre. Yeah. So for example, Ant-Man main genre is superhero, mm. um, but it's also a heist movie. Yeah, and a um, comedy. Civil, not Civil War, and Winter Soldier. Mm. You know, it was like an espionage film, mm-hmm. superhero film. Guardians of the Galaxy, superhero film, but it felt far more like a space opera. Right. Even the recent Spider-Man: Homecoming, which we on about. It was like far more of a John Hughes movie. Yeah. You know, coming of age film and a superhero film. Yeah. So now it's sort of like you no longer have just a superhero film and so many different genres. Logan. Yeah. It was Western. Felt far more like a Western than a superhero film, mm-hmm. but it's in the superhero genre. So yeah. I think that's how the. There was a point where the um, genre needed to change, and I mm-hmm. think that's how it's changed now. That basically you have a main genre in superhero film but you have your other supporting genre whether it be western or comedy or rom-com or heist or whatever yeah. and that's how it's now evolved yeah yeah that's very interesting and it's it's just a genre that I um, like I say I don't tend to get involved with um, in the same way as well yeah because your other your other big fanboy status goes towards Disney. It does. And I'm not like this huge... I, I can appreciate Disney, but I've never been this huge Disney fan. Uh, you love Disney so much, you've got a Disney tattoo. I do. I have <laughs> a Mickey Mouse shaped tattoo on my shoulder, which, um, when I was getting it done, um, I just turned to someone and was like, be honest, is this the whitest tattoo I've ever seen <laughs> on a male? She was like, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, I see you're a weirdo. <laughs> How many times have you been to, to the Disneyland parks? A lot. So I've been to the Walt Disney World in Florida a total of seven times. You're kidding. I will be seven going times? Seven. I'll be going uh, with my eighth um, later this year. Oh. Um, I've been to Paris four times. Okay. Oh, uh, less to Paris. Is yeah. it because it's not as good? Yeah. Okay. And it's just like... Um, I've always not been a Europe guy. I've always just okay. been like America. Well, it's just you can always just do me. Like, I've never really travelled Europe. I've been here mm. and there, but to me, you can always just do it on an odd sort of like weekend. Okay. Whereas if you want a big holiday, you go further abroad. That's what I've always done. Okay. Um, and I've been Hong Kong twice. Hong Kong. There's. I didn't even know there was one in Hong Kong. There was. Where are they then? So there's California and Florida. Yeah. So California's Paris. got two parks. Yeah. What Disney World's got six. There's two parks in California. Yeah, because you got Disneyland and then you got I think it's like California Adventure. Oh, we see. It's not another Disneyland. No, but it, right. it's a Disney park. Okay. But it's like so in Walt Disney World you've got Magic Kingdom, Animal Kingdom, Hollywood Studios, oh, okay. Epcot, Typhoon Lagoon, and Blizzard Beach. Blimey, you know them all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, Disneyland Paris you've got Disneyland Paris and then something like Disney Studios okay um, so there's two parks in Paris yeah Hong Kong you've just got one park called mm-hmm. Disneyland Hong Kong right Shanghai you've got a park Disneyland Shanghai, Shanghai. Um, and Japan you've yeah. got Disneyland Tokyo and then you've got Disneyland Tokyo Sea or Disney Sea Tokyo I think it might be called Disney Sea Tokyo yeah it's like Tokyo Disney Sea or something like that what C is in S-E-A yeah oh 
So it's why is it in the sea? <laughs> no idea. Man. No idea. <laughs> you get to swim with Ariel from the Little Mermaid. That's very interesting. What's your favourite Disney film? Um, I would say Disney or Pixar. Disney. Disney. Yeah, I'd, out of the animated classics. I'd say Beauty and the Beast. Oh, of course. I mean, it's the best one. Yeah, it's Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, and then yeah. in my opinion, the most underrated Disney film of all time is Lilo and Stitch. Oh, Lilo and Stitch Because is when gorgeous. people think about Lilo and Stitch, they just think about Stitch, because mm. Stitch is a merchandising machine in Disney. Right. That's all people ever think about. I see. But the film itself, I don't think, gets enough credit. Right. Because the film is so heartwarming. You know, yeah. it deals with a little girl who's lost her parents. Well, yeah. The sister's trying to raise her up on her own. The sister character, I think, is amazing in that film. She's really... Um, we, we don't see in a children's film that dealt with because she's someone who's lost her parents as well and having to raise and now her sister. Raising, and yeah. to the point where now she's trying to find a job to provide yeah. for her. So there's so many different tones to that film yeah. that people just don't realise. Yeah, that's really... It's a great film. I'm going to have to revisit Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, I, I'm uh, a big fan of like the history of Disney animation. Like when um, Walt Disney made Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, that had never been done before, a feature length. <coughs> Bless sneeze. you. <laughs> Don't sneeze on my podcast, please. <laughs> Disney well, you never... said Seven Dwarfs, I was doing a passion of sneezing. Oh, I see when you learn that. Okay, <laughs> get out of my house. <laughs> I'm going to play sleepy now and have a little nap. But, yeah. So he was making... Uh, Snow White as kind of an experiment almost. He put a lot on the line to get this feature film out there and it ended up being such an enormous hit that then it was like, oh, that's now a thing. So a new Disney film would come out every two, three years. And that was until, I suppose, the, is it sort of the 80s counted as the time when Disney animated films were seen to be on the wane. Yeah, so you had like a Disney renaissance Mm. With your Aladdin's Little Mermaid yes. and stuff, and then you had, Little Mermaid, and then it? you had like the dip. Yeah, but in that dip, you had so many great films that went under. Like um, one of my personal favorites is Treasure Planet. Oh yeah, that is really the animation's but, beautiful. But that? again, that sort of like was a hidden gem because yeah. Disney just fell, and now you've got the new wave of Disney Renaissance. Yes, like with your Tangled, Wreck It Ralph, um, Frozen, obviously mm. Zootopia, Moana. Mm. Like um, Big Hero Six, yeah, they keep doing so many good films, mm. and it just seems like they can't produce a bad film. Like even Moana, that I went like as big as fan as everyone else. Mm, okay. I still saw it and thought it's a good film. Yeah, and to me at the moment, Disney just can't do wrong. It seems like the um, conglomerate that is Disney can't do any wrong, right? Because they're like, back to where they well, were. Well, it's like every, every Marvel film they do is on point. Yeah, like the Star Wars films well being critically well received yes. like, no matter what they do whether it's Lucasfilm whether it's Marvel mm. whether it's Disney Animation Disney Studios Pixar it just seems to be well received yeah yeah I found that uh, yes I, I forget that there was that sort of dip in the late 90s early 2000s as well because in the 80s obviously there was Fox and the Hound and, and f the famous one is Black Cauldron yeah. which were seen as like real low points for Disney but I quite like the Black Cauldron. <laughs> it's it's something right. like completely different to Disney. Yeah. Like if you showed them and I just don't think you'd guess it was a Disney. That's because true, of how dark yeah. and you know, even the colour palette is very dark. And yes, dangerous. the Black Cauldron, I guess you're right, yes. Yeah, it almost looks like it's made by a different studio, that's true. And what are, what about other animated films like uh sort of Warner Brothers animations? Um, we think of Shrek and is that Warner yeah, Brothers? No, it's DreamWorks. Oh shit, I'm, I'm going to correct myself. Oh well, I'll leave that in. DreamWorks, guys. So DreamWorks do I'm some good testing. ones, mainly with the House of Training Dragon. Yeah. I've always been a big fan. Um, they do have some absolute misses, like I'm not a fan of like the Madagascar sort of series okay. and stuff. Um, but DreamWorks have really died down now. Like, yeah. Because Universal recently bought them. Oh really? Um, they recently do some good ones, like I think DreamWorks is responsible for Peanuts and Captain Underpants. Okay. And the style of animation now is really different and quite liking it mm. but the new player in the game which the films aren't great but they're making so much money is Illuminations so they okay. do Despicable Me oh yes Minions see, even Secret Life of Pets Sing yeah. like these oh, films they that sing. I'm not the biggest fans of. I think this no. Despicable Me films are the good ones right but they're just making so much money yeah they sort of make them all a little bit cheaper than Disney and Pixar as well don't they like um my criticism of Sing was one of the things I like about Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks is that there's 
lots you can watch it again there'll be lots of gags like in the background there's real attention to detail whereas in Illumination they don't seem to have that it seems like with seeing they don't have that well it's like when I noticed when they're at a restaurant scene and Mm. there was no food on anyone's plate Mm, so stuff like that it's like the little detail yeah yeah that's it's uh, it shows how much work has to go to these bloody films you must take forever that's really scary sorry one of my housemates has got a uh, poster for his show at the Edinburgh Fringe hanging out of the window and when the wind blows it flies up and I always think someone is about to come in through the window interesting fact for my listeners <laughs> for my readers <laughs> do you like any of the really really old Disney um, I'm not a huge fan of like I'm not a big fan of a lot of the princess ones like right. Cinderella Snow White um, Sleeping Beauty I'm not a huge fan you just don't feel like they're for you no mm, okay I prefer the ones that kind of a bit more real yeah um, like and I've just said Lion King and Beauty and the Beast in my <laughs> but one real. of the newest ones that I think is an absolute masterpiece and it's mm. already in my top five Disney films is Zootopia oh yeah because yeah. I thought Zootopia was a great commentary on um, obviously equality and racism yeah and to me, and I talked about this on um, the other podcast I did. Yeah. Which I'm sure we'll get you're to. Plug, you're plug. We'll, we'll, we'll get to. <laughs> we'll plug it. Um, like the subtlety, like there's a great scene where, um, for all those who haven't seen Zootopia, basically there's an act where carnivores are sort of now outcast by sort of herbivores. Mm. And there's a great scene where a predator, a tiger, sits on the bus and a mother rabbit just gets the baby rabbit and just moves it a little bit closer. Right. That sort of scene just like sort of starts to keep his eye on her. Even yeah. though he's, he's literally on his phone, just texting, yeah. sits down and the mum rabbit just grabs the baby rabbit and just moves it a little bit closer. And it's that subtlety yeah. that is just phenomenal. That's it, very, yeah, that's well observed because you see that all the time. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. You know, you'll see someone of a different colour to you and someone who yeah. might be a little bit more racist or yeah. um, a little bit more not clued into society and might yeah, you yeah. know have that approach yes and I think absolutely. that's just so intelligent somewhat the animator behind that obviously has spotted that in in real life yeah I thought Zootopia was I think it's just a, a great message for kids because like you look at other animated films out at the same time they've got like the Angry Birds movie now I have to give the Angry Birds movie a bit of credit because what they were working with was virtually impossible. <laughs> How do you make a story? And they did make a story out of that game. It and then they weird. had the game element in, yes, in it as well. exactly, yeah. So they did quite well. But I'm not sure it's a great message to kids. Because the, spoiler alert guys, the message uh, that Angry Birds, the movie has, is if someone comes to your town who's <laughs> a bit different, be suspicious, they're definitely up to something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they probably are. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and get angry about it and attack him. Definitely, yes. Wage war on anyone who's a bit different and the movie kind of goes, yes, that's the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, um, it's like uh, Inside Out was like, it's okay to like, you know, be yourself yes. with your emotions. Yeah, and the then, negative emotions are important too. And then Minions was like, it's okay to be mindless and follow <laughs> yes, people. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's the opposite of the Lego movie, isn't it? Where we've got this kind of dystopian future presented with the everything is awesome. Like, yeah. everyone, just keep believing everything's great. Okay, guys? And yes, learning to be an individual. Minions, like, be like everybody else. <laughs> I hate the Minions. I like them. Oh, they're, God, they annoy me well, so the much. Well, the pure slapstick comedy. <laughs> and you can appreciate that in, like, a little bit. Like... You know, it's, I know it's not the most satirical <laughs> form of comedy. But, I just uh, find them so annoying. And the, I think what really annoys me about Minions is how it's been commandeered by the internet. Like, Minion memes. You see? Oh, well, no, in fairness, that is, that's 40-year-old women yeah. who's ruined Minions for everyone. <laughs> I'm sorry, Aunt Petunia. I don't care if you want to, like, <laughs> post Minions about your birthday or it's like... Oh, it's National Flower Day and it's a picture of Minions holding a flower. <laughs> like, stop posting Minions. You're ruining it for me. It's the worst. Like, you see somebody see, like, uh, Christian Minions memes and it's just someone's put a picture of a Minion next to Thou Shalt Not Kill. <laughs> it's like, oh, Minions. So, Josh, we first met yesterday, but we knew each other from uh, me occasionally guesting on your film podcast. Do you well, want to tell I, us I about wouldn't that? say guesting. You are a member of I'm a member of the team. So you always say guessing, I'm like, you come on, like, pretty much most of the time. I'm on there a lot, aren't I? 
need someone to talk about films. Well, we're just like, we need token females. You need a token female on the who's, podcast. Who's yeah. desperate enough on social media <laughs> to come on? You are. Come on, come on, Suze. Come on, Suze. <laughs> Get your voice on mic. <laughs> yes, I really enjoy uh, podcasts and that inspired me to do this podcast. So tell us a bit about how it came about, Josh. So I'm 23 and I've been podcasting what? for nearly four years now. Since you were 19. So second year of uni, I was like, you know what? I'm finally going to do a podcast. So I did one. It was called um, Film Fanatics and Freaks and mm-hmm. then changed it to Film Freaks. So I did that about a year, maybe just over. Um, and I had different people on it and then my brother became the co-host but then he moved away. Oh, where's your brother now? Um, he's currently teaching for Disney. Really? Ha- my whole family's being watched by Disney. He's <laughs> got he Disney tattoos as well. for Disney? He's um, Dis- English. So, There's a school, a Disney school. So um, part of the programme was with Disney setting up a park in Shanghai that they needed to basically open um, English educational centres around the city okay. to help teach English to children. Bloody hell. By the way, if you can... There's a siren. It's the comedy police. They're trying to <laughs> arrest me. Yeah, we get a lot of sirens here, guys, in Edinburgh. I'm on the high street, staying on the high street. So your brother's teaching English in Shanghai. That's crazy for Disney. Yeah. And what, what, so he was on the podcast with you. Did you just record it in your home? and Just by Skype because at this point ah. I was at uni or away on uh, uni placement okay so I've always done it by Skype right and is then, this weird for you yeah Both in the yeah you know this is the first time I've actually done a podcast with well, you're someone. not on your own yeah is it better on your own because you sort of sit in your pants just masturbate don't masturbate <laughs> on my podcast he's doing that now ladies and gentlemen <laughs> um, um, then I met Phil Hobden, who's doing film exploitation. Yeah. And he had uh, Ross Boyask, um, Drew Cullingham, Andrew Mackay. So I, my podcast then just became a 20-minute show where I'd produce a few a week and it would just be a single review. Okay. So they came on one at a time. We'd talk new releases. Like, um, with Drew Cullingham, we'd talk about, like, sort of the more sci-fi ones, like okay. Sharknado and all that. Mm-hmm. Oh, from the sci-fi channel. Yeah. Yeah. And then... I was basically doing that and then I talked to Phil and we said, okay, why don't you just do what you're doing but under our umbrella? Yeah. So then it became um, Film Exploitation Reviews. Mm. So it's like a spin-off show. And then I was needed co-host so then um, I found Mike and Stephen mm-hmm. both from the Smoking Lamb podcast. Yeah. And Smoking Lamb fan. So like for a few years now I've been podcasting with them and then Phil started to lose interest in the main show. Mm. So the Film Exploitation show would actually come up once every few months and I'd be producing three shows a week for my Right, one. right. And uh, me and Andrew was like, we want to just do a like a weekly, one hour to two hour long podcast mm. where we can not just do reviews, really get into it. Yeah. And we said to Phil, why don't you let us take over film exploitation and run with it? And he said, oh, there's a few caveats, which is understandable because he created his show. Yeah. Um, you know, it was his baby. And he was like, you know, you might be better creating your own. And was like, we will. And was like, okay. we'll still feature on yours if you want. So then me and Andrew created the Smoking Man podcast. Yeah. Um, and we invited Mike and Stephen on, so then it was the four of us. Yeah. Then I think yourself joined. Yeah. Then David Shaw joined. Yeah, yeah. And now we have um, Richard Butman mm-hmm. and Richard Hawes joined. Richard Hawes and Mike even created their own DTV show. Yes. So now for the Smoking Man we have the main show, and then we have the DTV Digest, where Mike and Richard every week talk about direct-to-DV uh, direct Oh, yeah, direct-to-video films. films, yeah, yeah. And I don't know why it's called director video if it's like director. Yes, yes, it's <laughs> but, a but still sort of um, left over, isn't it? Left and over that's term. really good because now we're like getting our own sort of like little sub audience mm-hmm. in that. That's you know we're sort of branching out a bit more. It's getting mm. a different audience in, right? Um, and like I said, a new guy called Richard Butman, who's a fan of the show, he's come on, so we've really branched out. Now recently we've had my co-creator Andrew leave, but then Mike stepped in, so now it's yeah. me and Mike who run it. So the show works. We have an intro. We go over news. We always do film reviews because yeah. I, I watch the films. A- anyway, yeah. Then we have a top five. We have a segment called Educating Josh because I'm only mm-hmm. twenty three. There's some classics I haven't seen, and Josh. this annoys me because people are like, "How haven't you seen da da da?" And I'm like, "I'm ten years younger than you, <laughs> but like I watch every film that gets released at the cinema. Yeah, it's not a film I miss. So, to be fair, and I'd only seen." A- I'd seen some real shite by the time I was 23. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I've, I've missed some big films because there's only a limited number of time. I have a full-time job, I podcast, I go to the cinema anyway, but now this new segment helps me watch yeah. it. 
So what films have you seen with Educating Josh? So I saw Near Dark, wasn't a fan. Near Dark. The, yeah. the Driver, um, yeah. Master of the Universe, which was awful. <laughs> it's um, been a low hit rate so far. Roadhouse. Yeah. So on the segment, I basically say if it holds up or not. Yeah. Um, and those three I've just mentioned, I said didn't hold up. Mm. This one, I love the film, but it doesn't <laughs> hold up at all. Because it's sort of like, it's just so bad it's good. No? See, guys, we had this argument on the podcast. Josh thinks that Roadhouse doesn't know that it's nuts. No, I really, I honestly, if you watch it, I honestly think... I have watched it. <laughs> I honestly think, like, it. obviously watch it, but, like, recently, I honestly mm-hmm. think it takes itself as, this is, like, so serious. And <laughs> because of not. how it deals with it. Because it does it in such a serious manner mm-hmm. that it's only because if you watch it back now, you're like, this is diabolical. But it's no, hilarious. I love it. I think Roadhouse was mad at the time. Oh. I think it took itself seriously. <laughs> um, I've seen The Sting. Oh, did you like fantastic. The Sting? Fantastic. Oh, good. I'm glad you like The Sting. I think it's like two hours, 20 minutes or something, mm-hmm. and it flies by. Excellent. It's so good. Um, I saw The Great Escape. Mm. How did you feel about The Great Escape? Um, basically, as soon as they escape, mm. I think it went far too slow. Like, there okay. was 40 minutes left of the film, and at that point, it was just like, could have done without. I see. Um, but apart from that, good film. Right. Um, and then I saw Pump Up the Volume. What's that? I don't even know what that is. So it's what... Are these all Mike's choices? A lot of them, yeah. <laughs> With that one, I was just like, Mike, can you give me, like, one what people Mike, have heard what about of? The Godfather? <laughs> <laughs> Which, I have seen The Godfather. Okay. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's like a sort of, not a podcast, but sort of like a radio DJ. Okay. Um, that did, like, a secret radio show, and it was sort of like a um, youth in revolt sort of film. Okay. But because it's, like, even though it kind of doesn't hold up, I will have some Harry Potter. Got Harry. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we can hear some locals outside. Yeah, Ooh. there's a lot of noise around this flat. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's because he's sort of like a radio host and he's like revolting. Mm. I just connected it because mm-hmm. obviously I'm a podcaster who influences tens of people. Mm, literally <laughs> tens each week <laughs> if, if we're lucky they're like oh we've hit 11 this week no. Wait, I'm not going to cry about it double figures <laughs> and then to end the show we also have a segment called address the land where it's mm. now like a debate mm. so I just give people random answers they pick one and they give them a question and they argue about it and now it's I'm fun. having so much more fun on the podcast ever since um, something else has happened the show's restructured mm. mics come in and now I'm just having so much fun. Like every yeah. week's just a breath of fresh air. Love doing it. Don't even focus whether really on the downloads now. You know, people say, just how many downloads it. you got? And I just say, you don't care. Mm. Like, it's so much fun. It's a hobby. Like, I'm not doing it to make money. I'm doing it to, because I would watch the films anyway. Yeah. So it gives me an outlet to talk about them mm. with my friends, because we all know each other quite well now, mm-hmm. despite never meeting each other really. Mm. I've met you and now Stephen, but not Mike. Oh, you've met Stephen, of yeah. course, yeah. I've met him a couple of times just because he's near where I live. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's just fun hobby, which I'm just so much happy with the show now. Excellent. So we're uh, going to focus on your chosen film of the podcast now. You chose Toy Story. Well, if we could do like Toy Story trilogy. Okay, yeah, we can do the Toy Story trilogy, of course. Yeah. Is it your ultimate trilogy? So I have two answers. Yes <laughs> and no. Because to me, like film for film, Toy Story is the greatest set of three films of all time mm. now when I think trilogy I think overarching story mm. so tr- like Toy Story you know it's quite closed off yes. it's three films but every film's closed mm. so that's why I argue Lord of the Rings is the greatest trilogy because it's the only sort of real three films that have a continual overarching storyline yeah okay now you could debate like it just feels like one big film yeah one nine hour film but um, you know it just has like a continual run through Mm. However, if we're about, um, if we use trilogy in the sense of one set of three films, Toy Story is by far the greatest trilogy of all time. Okay, interesting. Which is your favourite of the three? Toy Story, it goes Toy Story 1, Toy Story 3, Toy Story 2. Okay. But in my opinion, they're all 10 out of 10s. Yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, they're all fantastic films. Toy Story, the original, was a real groundbreaker, wasn't it? it was... Yeah, it's the most influential animated film of all time. Mm. Like, it changed the game, it was the most... You know, Do you it think it's, first... sort of, it's like the Snow White of the new generation? Of well, yeah, because it was the films. first CGI film mm. to be produced. Mm-hmm. And the talent behind it, um, like people forget, like Joss Whedon wrote it. Yeah. One of the Coens might have been Ethan, I think. He helped write it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Lassender, he, he cemented himself as the 
him and um, Marizaki are like mm. the two the two godfathers of animation. Okay. One for the east, one for the west. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Miyazaki is kind of must be like um, the Walt Disney of Asia. Yeah, and, he is. Mm. And the films he's done are remarkable. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, so so good for a different audience. Yeah. Um, I always find his films don't. It's weird because I've always said Pixar films aren't kid films; they're kid friendly. Yeah, they they're very much a family film in the best way. Um, you, you see some animated films marketed as family films what they actually are are kids films with a few in jokes for the adults yeah. whereas Pixar don't do that they're films for everybody yeah you know like up the first 10 minutes and up mm. no kid's going to realise that Ellie um, you know had miscarriages or, yes. could, or couldn't have kids yeah no one got that no but adults do and adults were in tears because yeah. of it so that's why it's and the, but the kids can still get the gist of their you know their life together wasn't what they thought it would be yeah um and well so the kids love. probably get the yeah they get the gist of oh it's sad yeah well they you know the audience seems into it more same with mm. like um you know inside out when bing bong dies the yes. kids are sad at that yeah but the adults are more sad because it's something that's happened to them exactly the death of point, I, I had an imaginary friend mm. and then one day like you don't realize you know you're trying to pinpoint when you just forget about it yeah and watching that film made me think of my childhood friend called Timmy. He oh. even had a song. Oh, tell us what Timmy used to sing, John. So it was called, it was Timmy, it was like, Timmy, 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 over the mountain. Timmy, <laughs> Timmy, Timmy, under the sea. Timmy, 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 through the forest. Timmy, 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 for you and me. Oh, Timmy, he sounds and amazing. recently we had a family barbecue and the subject of imaginary friends come up and mm. the neighbours, who were older than me, I think they're like 28 now, mm-hmm. but they even went, Timmy, and they even now sang the song because oh they because they knew it as something that I did. Timmy was in your life. <laughs> he was, yeah, he touched us all. Yeah, so that's why Pixar does great because you yeah. know it's loss of childhood, and um, in a sense, I don't think um, Studio Ghibli, what Miyazaki does, yeah. is like that. Mm. I find they're more for an older child they audience because yeah. of how out there they are. Yes, because they you know they're the anime style, which is mm. bizarre. So that's why. Yes. They play to a similar age group, but for different reasons. Mm, that's really but interesting. Toy Story started it all. Mm. Yes, you look at the animation techniques. I got very interested a few years ago, a couple of years ago, in the history of CG, uh, CGI in cinema. And it's amazing looking at stuff that was made in the mid-80s with CG, fully CG. And then only 10 years later they made Toy Story that the technology moved so fast and now Toy Story and it's 22 years old now it still holds up but you can see the massive leaps they've made in animation techniques well to me Toy Story is the Jurassic Park because Mm. Jurassic Park for whatever reason it holds up so much yeah obviously because practical but even like just a standalone shot of the CGI of the um, dinosaur, the yes, T-Rex, yeah. looks so real. It does. So I compare modern films to that and go, mm. if it's better than that, it shows that it's good because yeah. it's still held yeah, up. Yeah, the techniques are excellent. I think the CG in Jurassic Park was actually more convincing than in Jurassic World. Yeah, by far. And, right. you know, there's some elements in Jurassic World I think looked more like a sci-fi original. Yeah. And I recently watched Avatar again. Oh, it was yeah. just on TV so long. That even felt dated. Right. Because it was so advanced. It's not even 10 years. Yeah, it? it feels dated. We're watching, obviously because that is just pure CG. Yeah. But again, like, um, it just felt a bit dated. Yeah. Whereas like Toy Story now, you hold up and it look, it look better than Avatar. It's because it's got so much heart as well. I mean, not saying that Avatar didn't, but Toy Story, it's such a universal story. Like, you you could show that to kids in 50 years' time and they'd I mean, still enjoy. they recently remade it with Secret Life of Pets. Ah, it's basically yeah, the yeah. same film, not as good. Yeah. And one thing I love about Toy Story is, um, to me, it's got one of a great dickhead <laughs> um, protagonist yeah. in Woody. Yeah, yeah. Like, if we ever did on the podcast a top five list of really dickhead <laughs> main characters yeah. who are supposed to be goodies, Woody would be on the list. Because he, he tries to straight up murder someone. Yeah, literally. <laughs> someone comes, tries to steal a bit of his thunder, steal a bit mm. of his friends. Um, again, not from around here. Mm. He's an alien. And, yes. And what does he do? He tries to murder him. Yeah, they, they learn to work together. Yes, you'd always think of like Buzz as the antagonist uh, in that relationship. Actually, Woody's kind of a jerk. Like, Huge. But I'm the big toy on the block. <laughs> I like it. My favourite character was always uh, Tex. 
Rex even. Rex. Rex, yeah. I love Rex. I always loved Ham. Especially mm. in the third one, Ham's great just because he's so dry. Yeah, yeah. He's just like the psyche response that I'd give in certain <laughs> situations. You see yourself as Ham. Just a fat, porky person. <laughs> <laughs> You're a pig, my friend. <laughs> no, I like Rex. He's, uh, I want to give him a cuddle. <laughs> Aww. It's all right, Rex, don't worry. And uh, Toy Story 2 uh, then introduced Jessie who I think is a great uh, female character in the Pixar universe. I think she's one of the best female characters. Yeah, she's good because... and I don't think people ever, like, look at her because she's basically an animated toy. Yeah. As a female icon. Mm. But she is because she does a lot of things by herself. Yeah. She's quite independent. She'll emotionally, like, you know, she knows when she needs to rely on her friends. Yeah. Um, And she develops so much for that film. Like, the the song, um, Somebody Loves Me. Yeah, when somebody Heart- loves you. Heartbreaking. Yeah, it's an amazing sequence. That, that always reminds me of the sequence at the beginning of Up. As and well. I love the basically the nod that picked. I don't think they intended to, but basically there's the fan theory that Jesse was owned by Andy's mum. Because mm. the hat Andy uh, wore, um, people favour it looked more like Jesse's. So people feel right. like it was passed on to his, by his mum. Oh, that's beautiful. Um, I don't think that was like true. But mm-hmm. Pixar's, I think, basically thrown a bone at the fans and gone, yeah, you know what, it's true. Oh, Why not? Right. Why not? Why not? I think that's really lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's a gorgeous song. Sarah McLaughlin's song, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think Jessie's a great character because you think, like, five-year-old girls are going to be watching Toy Story 2 and it might be one of their first films they ever see at the cinema. Yeah, I, like, it's so great to see a real strong female character on the screen. Yeah. And what about Toy Story 3? Because that, that deals with sort of um, the loss of childhood again, doesn't well, it? Well, I think that hit my... Because that was the year where I was just going into... Was it, I was either just going into uni or just going into college. Okay. I can't remember. 2010? Yeah, so I think it was just going into college. Okay. So kind of at the stage where I'm about to leave the nest. Mm. So my mum, like, that affected her so much. Oh. Like, she was in tears because it's like, stuff like, she, you know, she's gone through it with my brother, she's about to go through it with her youngest. Mm. Um, and, you know, again, like you said, it's a loss of childhood. It's moving on. Yeah. Something we all have to do, but passing it on. Yeah. So, you know, it's just so emotional, the last scene where they're all watching him drive away. Yeah. And it just cuts, and all you see is the clouds, like the wallpaper in his room. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of the only films where... I generally like can see twists coming. I'm mm. quite good at that. Right. More recent is Spider Man Homecoming. There's a big twist that right. I'm actually the only person. I know not just being a Billy bullshitter because mm. I saw the film with Stevie. Yeah, I and, knew who what was going to. And just before it happened, I turned to him and said, "This is going to happen," mm. and it did. And so far, I'm the only one who's caught it out. Oh really? Um, I'm going to look out for it now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, like with Toy Story three, when they're about to die. Yeah. I honestly just was like this is it like, um, and I'm accepting it like how yeah. they and the best bit was they just accepted their fate yeah. they were like there's no way out so they all held their hands together close yes. going out together loving each other and just sort of closed their eyes and accepting yeah, it yeah it was a, very, a sort of very bleak dark and like very like real Absolutely. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about ah. it like, it was just so well done it was a very brave decision to make for I mean it's a kids film but like you say it's Therefore, everyone picks up for everyone. And it was the perfect, like, obviously then, like, something comes in at, at the end randomly yes. to save yeah, the day. Yeah, they don't actually all yeah. get killed. That but would be too perfect, much. But it was the perfect Duessex Machina in The Claw. Because mm. that was a catchphrase always, The Claw. Yes. And what saves them? The Claw. Yeah. Just a random claw comes out of nowhere, picks them up and saves them. Yeah. It doesn't really make much sense, but again, you just accept it and it's yeah. just so beautiful and yeah. I was laughing I was like oh that's just great mm. and then it hits you more in the feels when Andy gives the toys to Bonnie they're playing one last time and he just drives away yeah yeah it's, it would be like a very schmaltzy ending would be Andy goes I'm going to take my toys to uni but it wouldn't have been realistic yeah well obviously like the cliffhanger is you know he's given all the toys but it's whether or not he keeps Woody yeah. like he keeps them for himself or basically gives it onto someone yeah. else because he kind of knows he can't he will forget about Woody mm. to pass it on to someone who will not mean much. Yeah. No, it's super gorgeous. Is the fourth one coming out soon? It is, which... Apparently they're saying they want to try and make it more of a rom-com. Oh. Um, but, you know, like, people will be like, oh, Toy Story 4, but I'm like, you know, after the first one, you'd be like, oh, well, they're just going to mess up the second one. Mm. After the second one, you'd be like, oh, I don't want them to ruin those two. Yeah. Like, Look! Look at who's behind it. Look at the films they produced. It's true. I believe the director is the guy who did Up. 
I might be wrong because um, I've found much news on Toy Story Four, but I believe it was him and Lassender, mm-hmm. and then he, Lassender stepped down, and now it's just him. Okay. Um, and I think it's either up or it might be right too. Oh, it's, no, because right too is Bad Bird. I think it is the director of what, but you know, look what he's produced. Mm. So have faith in Pixar. It's I think they'll put so much effort into like they're not going to release it for releasing sake because mm. they know the damage. They know the poison that will be met if they fuck it up. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, they they would. Uh, it's one thing to release Cars too and have people be a bit like eh on it, but yeah, Toy Story is a it's a precious what's the word precious product. Yeah, it, it, if they like balls it up, it would be like the reception that Indiana Jones Four had. Oh yeah, or like the Godfather Three. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. What other Pixar films do you like? Because they they barely have a miss, don't they? Even films like Cars, which I'm not very keen on. Kids fucking love Cars. Um, so like my favourites would be the Toy Story trilogy, Inside Out, which I've mentioned. Yeah, Inside Out's amazing. Um, and there's the next one, which I think well, there's two, and I'll talk about the last one first. Is Ratatouille because. Mm. I watched, first watched it and I didn't like it. Right. And literally every time I watch it now, I love it more and more. Right. And it's the film, like, every time, like, it adds just a point onto its score. I see. And I, I've I only just, watched it once. Maybe uh, I, I just think it's it. so beautiful. Right. But the, probably my second or third favourite Pixar film, so it probably goes Toy Story, Toy Story 3, and then it's this one, is Wally. Okay. Because it's a film that, um, obviously, it's a metaphor about, like, you know, um, conglomerates and big, big chains, big companies. Yeah the environment but it's a silent movie yeah like up until the point where they see the humans there's not much dialogue yes um, Wally's so likeable him and Eve are a beautiful couple yeah and it's such a tribute to sort of the old silent movies yeah and again kids love it like there's no dialogue but the you know kids aren't bored yeah so that's what Pixar does well also like love Inside Out oh, there's so many great ones mm. yes I think Pixar I <sighs> I'm someone who, for someone who I admire Disney rather than love Disney, I think Pixar, I, I almost wish I'd been a bit younger so I could grow up with Pixar, because Toy Story came out when I was 10. Uh, and that I think was the Toy first Story was 95, so it came out when I was 1. <laughs> I've just realised I'm old. <laughs> so Josh, we've talked about your very favourite movies. What would you say is the worst film you've ever seen? Easy. Um, and it was probably one of my most anticipated films at the whole time. Um, it's Frank Miller's The Spirit. I don't know this one. So basically, Frank Miller, uh, he got co-director credit on Sin City with Robert Rodriguez. Right. It's now apparent I've seen The Spirit that it was probably more of a formality. He got, um, And he's the guy whose his comics was Sin City and um, 300. So he's a comic book artist? Yeah. Right. Um, and obviously, he, you know, they said he co-created, uh, co-directed Sin City. I see. And um, was a big fan of 300 at this time. Mm-hmm. And then The Spirit came out and I was so looking forward to it. Don't know why there's something about it. Right. And I went with my brother. 20 minutes into it, I turned to him and I was like, can we leave? Like, how, really? how long is it? And I've never walked out of a film and I would never walk out of a film um, because I just sit through them. Like, if I'm bored I'll, and no one can see, I'll maybe pull out my phone. Right. I just sat there like that. But, but my policy is, yeah, I'll never walk out of a film. Well, no, because how can you really review a film you've walked out of unless something super offensive happens? Like, <laughs> they're like, ha ha ha, kicked a disabled person to death, and I'm the hero. Like, I, I'm not naming a film where that's happened in because I don't think there is one. But like, if that happened in a film, I'd go, ah, yeah, I think I think I'm done with this. Even that, though, I, I'd still think I'd stay to the end really? because then I can get the whole context of it before I make yeah. my mind up. <laughs> yes, true. Because you know, I, you I've could... only walked out of one film. Because yeah. one of my favourite um, advertisements was it was a Farmer Guy episode, right? And it just showed a clip of the newest episode. And it literally has Stu, uh, and Brian, and they go, "Oh my God, we caused nine eleven!" And they're cheering, and people were outraged. Right. And when they watch the whole episode, basically it shows it's a time travel episode, and it shows the effect of if nine eleven happened, what happens today compared to if it never happened. Okay. So they basically show that it is better for society if nine eleven happened, <laughs> and then. In, in the episode, they have the bit where, like in the Admiral, where they go, oh my God, we caused 9-11, cheered. And then they say, oh yeah, but out of context, that looked really bad. Right, so right. So that's why, like similar to that, that's why I always just watch a film all the way through. Yeah. The benefit of a doubt, I've never half watched a film. And that's why I always find annoying fitting time, fitting a film into a time slot, because I've got to watch it all. I can't I pause, 
and go halfway through, I have to watch oh, it all. Oh, I see. Because I think that disrupts the flow of the film. Yeah. So, like, when, um, as mentioned before, an educating Josh when Mike gave me a great escape, and that's three hours, it's like, shit, I've got to try and fit a three-hour film. Yeah. Because I'm not going to do it in stints. I've got to watch yeah. it all the way through. Okay. Because I think that gives it the best reflection of the whole film experience, rather yeah. than pausing it and starting again. I agree. I, 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 I think that is the best way to watch a film. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't so, do that with the OJ Made in America documentary because it's eight hours. But oh, I, I think that's an exception. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, so the spirit. Um, I also did you walk hate... out? No, you did stay. Yeah, did oh, stay. Okay, right. awful film. And it was terrible. Um, well, before that, there's one film that when I first okay. watched it, I hated, hated, and now it's my second favorite comedy of all time. Really, what Wayne's World. Oh, I why first... did you hate Wayne's World? No idea. Uh, I first watched it, I was like, "This is shite." You just weren't in the right frame yeah, of mind. Yeah, I just. I hated it mm-hmm. and then watched it again I was like take take my money yeah <laughs> shut really. up and take my money but, um, so bad it's good um, obviously me and you are both huge fans of The Room oh yes and <laughs> in your comedy show last night you showed you um, showed clips I of do, my, my new favourite film which <laughs> I can't wait to watch which is called Fateful Findings Fateful Findings <laughs> um, how did you find this film Fateful Findings I think it was listed on some um, blog as one of the worst films this guy had ever seen. He's like, it's the new The Room. And the guy who, in the same way that Tommy Wiseau directed, wrote, starred in and produced The Room, this guy Neil Breen wrote, directed, starred and produced uh, Fateful Findings. He also has a whole series of films. They're all fucking exactly the same. I don't know why he keeps making these films that are identical. But there's one called, the title is, I am here, dot, 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 now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and it's a cracking watch there's always like a supernatural element in his films which none, they never make any sense like The Room oh, it doesn't make sense at all obviously but The Room we know what's going on whereas his films it's almost do impossible. we know what's going on well it's the very cancer, simple the cancer well, yeah, I definitely have breast cancer what's going to happen with her oh well never know <laughs> never talked about it again <laughs> yeah but I mean, we're both so excited for the Disaster Artist. Oh my god, it looks amazing! Have you heard the audio book for um, the Disaster Artist? I have not. It's Greg Sestero who plays Mark in the room. He's written this book, and the audio book is him reading the book aloud, obviously. And his Tommy was so impression is unbelievable. Like it's perfect. It's obviously he's spent a lot of time with him, and it's an amazing impersonation. He talks about how. Um, they would, someone would say, for instance, with that line, I definitely have breast cancer. He would, someone would say to Tommy, like, what, why is this in here? And then never mentioned again. And Tommy's answer would always be, it's life. <laughs> <laughs> it's life. Don't question. It's life. They do things like, why, why are we reusing clips from that sex scene in another sex scene? And he'd say, it's movie. <laughs> He is deluded. Um, He's a madman. But what does he... Because I, I presume like Disaster Artist basically shows the film for what it is. Yeah. Shite but great. Oh, absolutely. What does he think of Disaster Artist then? He's not particularly happy with it, from, from what I've read. In interviews as well, he was asked about it. He went with it. Because he's not written with a huge amount of warmth. You don't, he's not, this is not Greg Cicero writing about his kooky best friend. He's writing about a guy who is at times extremely difficult to be around and he's very manipulative and um, it's it's a really fascinating read actually. Do you, and, do you think in the Disaster Artist movie we're going to mm, get that side or do you think they're going to try and cook it up a bit? I think they're going to do a bit of both. I think I think we will get that side of how difficult um, Tommy is, Tommy Wiseau is. He was so difficult like um, he almost would because Greg Sestero didn't want to play Mark in the film. He the part was written for him. He didn't want to play it because he read the script. And it was dreadful. And um, in the end, Tommy was so offered him a life changing amount of money to do it, and he wouldn't. He wouldn't take no for an answer. And and Greg Sestero's reasoning was, no one's ever going to fucking see this film. He was like twenty four year old guy. He's like, no one will see this film. And now it's like world famous. It is. I think this is probably the most cult. So yeah. bad it's good. News it's like all the time. a new Rocky Horror, although Rocky Horror is really good. But it's that kind of thing with where people have this like super kooky love for this film, which is absolutely appalling. <laughs> and for the Smokeland podcast, we did a drunk commentary. Oh yeah, we on did, it, and it was the in depth. It was just me and you watching yeah. the film, chatting constantly yeah. about it, and it was brilliant. Yeah, 
Yeah, my knowledge of the room is possibly too deep. (laughs) No one needs to know that much about a film that bad, but I can't get enough. (laughs) I love it. I think we should... uh, I think we should watch Fateful Findings oh my God, at some point to. as a drunk commentary. As but well. I'd want to watch it first. Oh, absolutely. And yes. then. It, it blow your mind. It, it makes the room look normal. Oh, <laughs> it just sounds Did you know the room? The room is crap and it's rubbish writing. Um, but without Tommy Wiseau, with just some random guy playing that part, it wouldn't be the fun that it is. Do you even understand life? <laughs> Hello, doggy. Hey, doggy. My favourite line in the film is um, people don't people don't often remember it, but there's uh, Tommy Wiseau's written a psychiatrist character called Peter, and he's is that the one who like leaves and just gets yeah yeah the one he got another job uh, while the film was still shooting, and he'd said my last day on the film is this day, and Tommy Wiseau's like okay, and then on the last day he'd got this other job, and he went. Well, I'm leaving today. And Tommy Russo was like, well, bye then. Just got another actor in to do all his other lines. But it's a different character that we're never introduced to. Anyway, that's another story. But there's a scene where they're all just uh, sitting around talking. And Peter, in psychiatrist mode, he goes, he says something which is meant to be extremely wise and profound. He just goes, people are people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? People are people. So I think that's something we can all take away with us people are people people are people Josh thank you so much for joining me thank you for having me it's nice to not host a show yeah to be a guest on a show was it pleasant being in the room with the podcaster the room in the room it's not a room it's the room (laughs) yeah it was nice to actually do face to face it was nice not to worry about a show format or whatever yeah just to talk Just reveal reveal some behind the scenes secrets yeah um, smoking lamb politics and yeah <laughs> all right thanks josh i'll see you soon okay. directly after this uh podcast oh yeah sorry josh would you like to plug anything just the Smoking Lamb podcast. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search for The Smoking Lamb. Yeah. Go on our website, www.thesmokingalarm.com. Excellent. You can only email us. We just use this plug for the show anyway, but email us at yeah. at gmail.com. And we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn and Blueberry. Like if you just search for The Smoking Lamb podcast, you'll find us. And Great. Hopefully you enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining me, Josh. Goodbye. <laughs> There you go, guys. That's Josh, a passionate podcaster and movie fan. And don't want to brag, but he said he liked my show. Did you hear? Talking of my show, come and see it at the Bill Murray Comedy Club in Islington on October 12th. Details on my website, suzkempner.co.uk. He just gave you all the info on how to follow his podcast. Big pro. But yeah, follow Josh on Twitter at The Smoking Lamb and download the podcast. There are two podcasts a week reviewing films at the cinema and direct to video releases and they're a lot of fun follow me on twitter at suze uk and guys thanks for listening see you again soon yeah